Oh my goodness. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 263. It's another F1 episode. We've had like a crazy, beyond rare stretch of weekends where three weekends in a row, we've had a triple header, three F1 races in a row, two in Austria. We just had the one in Hungary. Uh, You know, first of all, I I really appreciate all the feedback I've been getting from people about the episodes. People say they really like it. They like the F1 content. It means a lot. Uh, The numbers aren't as high as... Like my other stuff, I'm okay with that. I like making the content. I love Formula One. There's a, a lot of other stuff to talk about later this week, but I want to start with Formula One this week uh, and do an episode all about that. Let's jump into the race reaction. Um, you know, we just had the Hungarian Grand Prix, and this is how things worked out. Of course, you know, Lewis Hamilton won. He got first place. Max Verstappen took P2 right behind him. Valtteri Bottas took third. Um, let's start with probably the biggest story from the race, which was Lewis Hamilton's just sheer domination. Credit to Mercedes, credit to Lewis. Um, He was so far ahead at the end of the race that he was able to take an extra pit stop to get a fresh set of tires and go for it and earn fastest lap. So Lewis Hamilton got 26 points on the day in total. Lewis now leads the 2020 driver standings. He has 63 points. His teammate Valtteri Bottas has 58. And then Max Verstappen in third in the driver standings has 33 points. In this race, you could almost call Lewis Hamilton gluttonous, where you know, he was literally leading by like 25 seconds. Takes another pit, new tires, fastest lap, and that pit stop was the only reason why Max Verstappen was even near him. And Lewis dominated so much that he lapped Sebastian Vettel, who was in fifth place, with 12 laps to go. So first place was never in contention uh, in the Hungarian Grand Prix. That's how F1 is sometimes. I'm okay with it. Uh, for me, though, the second biggest story was one we didn't see very much of. Actually, if you're watching on TV, right before the beginning of the race, I, didn't, I was watching on TV. I didn't see the Max Verstappen race. I had to look it up on YouTube afterward. Um, and he had to have his push rod and track rod replaced minutes before the race. And Red Bull Mechanics fixed it in 20 minutes. And, you know, again, on TV, you didn't really get to see the drama, but it was a really slick, greasy track. Max uh, locked up and went off into the side. And the repair job here is remarkable. Red Bull got the car ready to race. And usually what's a job that takes about an hour and a half, did it in about 20 minutes and had Max ready to go with just over 20 seconds left to spare before the race and before he had to be done and and get ready to go and go onto the track. Uh, That's just crazy for me. You know, the fact that Max raced at all is so cool. And the biggest takeaway from, uh, from Hungary is the reminder that, yeah, this is a team sport. It's really easy to give the driver all the credit, talk about how great Lewis Hamilton is, how great Max Verstappen is. Uh, Without the team around him, Lewis Hamilton doesn't win, obviously. Uh, You know, I I love Lewis. He's a great racer, got fast. He does a lot of great stuff. It certainly helps he has Mercedes. But also, the fact that Max Verstappen even raced is because of his mechanics, because of the team around him. So I think that's something that's easily forgotten in Formula One. Kind of like the offensive line. We focus on the quarterbacks in football. We focus on the stars. And the drivers are certainly the stars in Formula One. But they're half of the equation. The other half is a gigantic team of people, engineers, and decision makers behind the scenes who make it work in Formula One. Again, brilliant driving, though, by Max. It was really cool. He started in seventh place. And to finish second and split the Mercedes, again, you know, right at the first turn, he started in seventh, took a wide angle on turn one, went from seventh to third, during turn one, 
I love it, man. Max getting P2 in Hungary, that's a victory. That might as well be P1, given the circumstance, given that his car was wrecked right before, had to have that last-second fix. Everything coming together last minute, then staying relevant in the Drivers' Cup, uh, the Drivers' Championship. You know, stay, he has 33 points. He's way behind Lewis, but hey, he could have nothing if he hadn't raced, and so and nothing. You know, could have gotten no points if he hadn't raced, and so I, I think overall Hungary was a massive, massive victory for Max Verstappen. I think it's cool. You know, how is history going to remember Max, a guy whose car wasn't quite as good as Lewis Hamilton's, but a guy who. I mean, he didn't keep up with Lewis. He was you know, way behind Lewis in this race, but he has really stayed competitive with Mercedes, and that's hard to do. His team at Alex Albin is not competitive with Mercedes and really hasn't been much this year other than a little bit during P, you know, the first race. And so really credit to Max. I think the way history is going to remember Max is a guy who never had the best car, at least not, not in the last couple of years, but really has, at least this year, challenged Mercedes and done a great job. Now... I want to talk about Valtteri Bottas. First of all, people say I mispronounce his name. And, you know, on TV, they say Bottas. So I, I'm going to say Bottas. Uh, but I'm told that's wrong. People say it's Bodas. It's, <laughs> it's not a cuss word, I promise. Um, I'm told this is wrong. I don't know. I'm a dumb American. I own that. Uh, I'm doing the best I can. And these are names that are tough for me. We have names like John Michael and... You know, I'm, 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 that's, I don't want to sound insensitive. I just, these are names I'm not native saying. And so most Americans, I want to be clear, Roman Grosjean is a name. Some people would say Romain Grosjean, right? I don't say that. I don't say Charles Leclerc. I say Charles Leclerc because I know how to say his name. I'm doing the best I can. And so I encourage you, if you really don't like how I'm pronouncing names, please find me on Instagram. Uh, it's at Zach Schaumler. Send me a message. Tell me how, you know, send me a video of you correctly pronouncing a Formula One name and I will do my best to get it right next time. Please let me know. Um, but I, I'm doing the very best I can. Now, there was a debate whether or not Valtteri Bottas did a false start right before the race. What happened was he got started. At, he started to go early. He stopped. He paused. That cost him a lot of time. Then he took off. And so, number one, if you look at the video, I, I kind of feel for Valtteri because if you look at his steering wheel, there are three little red lights who all went out like half a second before the lights went out to start the race. And it actually makes sense that he, you know, that was his, his reason for what happened. And it makes total sense that something in your periphery would distract you. And you see three lights go off. You're like, ah, you react because you're jumpy, ready to go for the race. They're all amped up to go. Maybe jumpy is the wrong word there. Um, now, some people were furious that he wasn't penalized. And I get it. You know, Mercedes is the hated team. They're dominant. They're so great. I'm actually glad that he didn't get penalized for uh, the false start. You know, he really self-corrected, and that brief pause he took cost him a ton. He started the grid at P2. Around turn one, he ended up in P6, uh, P6, excuse me. So you go from second to sixth in one turn because of a mistake you make at the start. It feels like penalty enough, to be honest. Um, he did overcome it, but I don't see a need for the FIA to give him a penalty there in that situation. He self-corrected. And he certainly paid enough as it was. If Valtteri Bottas gets a better start, he was chasing down Max Verstappen at the end of that race. He probably gets second or challenges Lewis Hamilton if he doesn't have the false start. I really think he got penalized enough. And you can be, I, I am not the biggest fan of Mercedes. I like their, their livery. I like, I think Lewis Hamilton's a likable guy, even if he's somewhat of a villain because of how much he wins. Um, but I, 
I'm not a Mercedes fan, but I'm also not a Mercedes hater. I try to be fair. And I think the fair thing here is to say, yeah, Valtteri Bottas, self-corrected, he paid his due, and I saw no need for a penalty for the false start by Valtteri Bottas. And again, go look up the video on YouTube of him doing it. Though three little lights on his, his steering wheel went off, and it, it just makes sense why he would react to that in his periphery. Now, another cool story of the race was Haas. Uh, I'm not sure if Haas would do... You know, I, I really like what they did here. There was a really cool moment where, you know, you know, right around lap three, people started to realize that they needed new tires. Everyone believed the track was wet. They were on intermediates. And people started to realize, we have the wrong, the, the track is drier than we thought. We have the wrong tracks for these, the long, wrong tires for these conditions. You know, Charles Leclerc and Valtteri Bottas took a pit stop in lap three. In lap four, the floodgates opened and everybody started going to the pit lane. You know, except for Haas, because right before the race, they made a change uh, to tires for dry weather. And uh, they beat everybody to the punch, you know, right before the formation lap. Now, Haas actually got a 10-second penalty for, um, what was the, for giving instructions and illegal, illegal driver aid. But again, I'm pretty sure if Haas could do everything over again, they'd still do it. They, they would do what they did and take the penalty because they got points and... Without that advantage at the beginning, the better tires compared to everybody else, they, they just weren't going to move up the grid and get points like they did. But Kevin Magnuson was up at third place at one point. He really, really took advantage of that opportunity he got with the tire change. And uh, even with the penalty, he finished 10th, so he got points. And that's the first time all year. Haas has one point all year. And you know now they're, they're ninth out of 10th. Woo! That's not great, you know. I, you know, Haas is 120 points behind the points leader Mercedes. It's 121 to literally one. But that's honestly what you know. Not only what F1 is in a nutshell, but that's what Haas is in a nutshell. They got one point. They're ecstatic. And what Haas does, you know, they are probably, in my opinion, the best of the bottom teams. Where what they do is they have a slow car. They don't build their own car. They source it out to Delara. They got a really small budget. There are so many limiting factors on Haas. But once or twice a year, they make a really clever move and score some points. I think that's cool. That's their MO. And I'm so happy for Gunter Steiner. I love him. And I, I just it's really cool to me. It's interesting that that's what they are. They're never going to be the best. They're never going to be best of the rest. They're really the one of the bottom feeder teams in Formula One. But they're clever, and they always once or twice a year, make a little move like that and make something happen. And shout out to Haas. Um, you know, it's funny how you can be ninth out of 10th and just be so happy after the end of the day. We got one point! Kind of, you know, from the grand scheme of things, seems kind of pathetic compared to Mercedes. But that really is how Formula 1 is sometimes, and uh, I'm happy for them. Now, right now, the standings for the Constructors' Championship is led by Mercedes. They have 121 points. Red Bull Racing is second with 55, way behind uh, over half the points of Mercedes. Uh, McLaren is in third with 41 points. Racing Point right behind them with 40 points. And Ferrari is fifth with 27 points. Now, the most interesting battle, in my opinion, is you know the rest of the year is going to be the battle for third place. Who finishes third in the Constructors' Championship? It's going to be really fun. I think it's going to come down to McLaren or Racing Point. Maybe Ferrari. Ferrari is in fifth place. Their car just doesn't have the pace, though, of the other racers, not to mention the drama of Sebastian Vettel leaving, and you had Charles Leclerc. What was he doing You know, in the Styrian Grand Prix? I have no idea. And Lap one takes out his teammate and himself. Um, 
Racing Point was big at the Hungarian Grand Prix. They took fourth and seventh, got 18 points in total. Ferrari struggled the pace. They really weren't great. Charles Leclerc didn't end up in the points. Uh, Sebastian Vettel got sixth and got eight points. Um, and again, Charles Leclerc not finishing in the points is very telling. Ferrari is struggling. Now, McLaren was also basically a no-show this past weekend in Hungary. Uh, you know, when, when a team like Haskett gets points, other people have to sacrifice. And so McLaren was one of the teams that they got two points, uh, ninth with Carlos Sainz. But really, in the scheme of things, it's almost a no-show weekend for McLaren. Now, what's interesting to me is Ferrari. They have fallen from a team that was once last year challenging Mercedes a couple times to a team that's in fifth just trying to you know, get the best of the rest. Ferrari's trying so hard to stay relevant. And this year, you know, getting fourth for Ferrari seems like it would be an accomplishment. Now, the FIA, what happened behind the scenes is this offseason, the FIA did an inquiry, a private inquiry, so we have no idea what happened, into Ferrari. And there's some kind of deal made behind the scenes to keep it quiet, whatever Ferrari did. Uh, but whatever happened, Ferrari's been way slower ever since the FIA did their investigation into what happened. And that's the kind of favoritism that I hate in F1, where I wish they just expose them. You know, tell us what Ferrari did. Let us know. Clearly something happened. They were probably doing something illegal, and their car is much slower as a result of that. Make them own it. You know, part of Ferrari's culture, the part that I don't like, is this weird kind of desire to hide the negative stuff. There's like this shame-based culture where we're going to hide our flaws, avoid shame, avoid embarrassment. Um, It's one of the things about Ferrari that I'm not that attracted to. And I wish it would just come out. What did Ferrari do? Why the deals behind the scenes? Can you tell us what happened? Because clearly something went on and uh, they're much slower as a result. Now, Renault has protested Racing Point. Um, I'm not sure where it's going to go. We'll break it down in a minute after the race reaction. Um, but I, we'll see if it goes anywhere. Yeah, right now, a lot of people keep saying, what do you think? And I'm not sure that Racing Point's going to get penalized. I'm not sure they did anything wrong. We'll find out. It remains to be seen. Um, but I, we'll just see what happens. I think Racing Point right now, though, they're a better team than Ferrari this year. They're I mean, Clearly, with the points... You know, show that, but also their car has got great pace and they're doing well. And Lance Stroll, you can hate on him, right? He clearly has a car because his dad is a billionaire businessman who bought him a team and gave him a seat. But love Lance Stroll or not, I'm not the biggest fan. Um, but you also do have to respect he's a much better driver than I probably would be, right? He he got points. I don't know that I could sit down in a car and get points. He's not some complete bum gentleman driver. He's not the best. You know, I don't. He's clearly there because of his dad. And Formula One, even on their YouTube channel and all this stuff, the broadcasters, no one hides it. Everyone knows why Lance Stroll is there. But he's also not the worst driver ever. He's not terrible. Um, It certainly does help he's driving a great car. But he's got more talent than a lot of other people, I think, would in that situation. I I just try to put yourself in Lance Stroll's shoes. He's doing better than a normal person would do. Is he the best driver in the world? I don't know. Um, should he have a seat next year? Not Sebastian Vettel. I don't know. Probably not. Um, but again, I, I don't know that all the hate on Lance Stroll is quite warranted. It's just really easy and really fun. He's a great target because his father is this billionaire Canadian businessman. Um, now the last thing I want to say about this race that I, it's just something I, I've noticed the last three races that I really like the graphics team for sky sports and the people covering F1, man, they deserve a shout out. They are doing so well. 
no one talks about this stuff, but I encourage you, go watch other you know, forms of racing. Go watch NASCAR or, you know, I tried IndyCar. I couldn't get into IndyCar. It's just too busy. It's, it, there's no star names in IndyCar, nothing like that. Um, but go watch the graphics on IndyCar versus Formula One. Formula One blows them out of the water. F1, there's so much information given to viewers at home. There's that crazy cockpit view where you have the RPMs, you have the gear, you have the speed, you have this rear view camera. I'm telling you, man, the graphics team for that works on Formula One is doing such a great job. And F1's bigger, there's more money, but I appreciate the graphics. Uh, the production value is so, so good when you watch a Formula One race. I love the Hungarian Grand Prix. It was fun. Hope you enjoyed it, too. And uh, let's shift gears to Racing Point. Renault has made an official protest of the Racing Point car. Uh, They're using technical regulations to prove their point and make their protest. Uh, Racing Point's been pretty open. They copied Mercedes' car from last year. Look, I can't blame them. If you're going to copy anybody, you might as well copy the team that won and the team that was the best. Now... To be clear, copying a team is really risky and hard because you can look at pictures. You can say, I'm going to do this, but you're not an expert that they are at the things they're doing. So it's hard to copy people in any form of entertainment or form of racing or anything. Copying is not always the easiest route. It's sometimes easier, I have found, to do my own product, to make my own thing. Now, Renault's protest is really aimed at having the FIA, which is Formula One's governing body, Make sure that Racing Point did not get help from Mercedes in designing their car. So you can buy parts from other teams. Uh, Racing Point bought parts from Mercedes. That's totally legal. That's totally okay. And you can also separately outsource car design to a third-party vendor or company. The biggest example is uh, Haas has, their, uh, has an Italian company, Delara, make their chassis. Now, teams really want Racing Point looked into because the question is who really did design Racing Point's car? And specifically, we'll talk about specifically in a minute what Renault has protested exactly, Um, but you can outsource your car to a third-party company, but you cannot have a competitor design your car. Now, I'm skeptical of all this. I don't know that Racing Point did cheat. Um, My question is why would Mercedes aid in helping design Racing Point's car. I have no idea why they would do that. Kind of seems silly, makes no sense. And there really isn't any evidence yet that Racing Point has broken the rules. So people keep asking for my take on the Racing Point situation. Number one, I want to say this. Hold on. Wait. Wait and see what happens. Let's find out what becomes of this information, what becomes of the investigation that's being done by the FIA. When it's over... We can then cast judgment because we'll know what the result was. I think it's a little too early for people. People keep asking, what's your opinion? What's your opinion? I'll know more when the matter is resolved, when we actually know, have a newest information on the story. Now, I can add a little bit more color to the story, which is to say that Renault's specific issue is related to the brake ducts, where you know they're, they're like little they're, – they're, they're attached to the wheelbase, basically – And each team has their own design, and that design is each team's intellectual property. If you design a thing, you own the rights, the intellectual property of that design. You cannot have it copied. If you copy another team's intellectual property, that's illegal by the FIA FIA rules. Now, from the outside, 
racing points brake ducts look the same. You look at it like that. You look at side by side pictures. You go, okay, the brake ducts and it's D U C T S ducts. I can't say it. It's hard for me. Um, they they look identical. Now the question is, how about on the inside? They can look the same from the outside. Is the design on the inside of the racing point car the same as the Mercedes car from last year? So again, at some point, we will get more information on Racing Point. That is when I will cast judgment. We'll know more. But until we know, until there's another, we need another breaking story and a breaking um, thing to happen in this FIA investigation. Until we have more information, it's just hard to know. But in case you know that's specifically what's being looked into, I don't know why Mercedes would ever help uh, Racing Point. Seems like that could get Mercedes in trouble. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. But the point is, wait and see. Let's wait and see what will become of what happened to Racing Point rather than rush to judgment and assume a lot of stuff. So I don't know. Again, I, I go back to it's hard to copy people. It really is. It's not easy. Um, in whatever field you're in, whether it's you know making a show or make, building a car, if you're building something, it's not always easiest to copy someone because you can copy the outside, what it looks like. But figuring out how things on the inside, the little stuff behind the scenes that no one talks about, that's the hard part of copying someone that no one talks about. Okay, um, I'm going to drink some water first, I guess. Um, this will be a fun topic. I'm a relatively new fan of Formula One. And, and look, I've been obsessed with F1 for months. My girlfriend makes fun of me. It's... If I watch YouTube videos, all I'm watching is Formula One stuff, learning and watching. And I'm watching old races from the 80s because I'm a nerd and I'm weird. Um, and in the process of learning the sport, I've come up with a glossary of important words you need to know. You know, when you watch a race, there are words that are thrown out all the time, a lot of phrases and words. And, you know, some I already knew. Some were common sense for me. Like I knew that uh, yellow flags meant caution. We'll get into that in a minute, though, in case you don't know. Um, but I figured I'd, I'd share my list to, you know, help people. If you're on YouTube and you want to add to my list, maybe I don't know that this is a video for experienced F1 fans. Um, but if you're someone who knows a lot about F1 and you're like, hey, Zach, there's another thing you left off. I think you should have mentioned. Feel free. Comment below and share whatever word or phrase you think I've left out of my list and my glossary for Formula One. Now, let's start with DRS. You hear the word and the phrase DRS said all the time, it stands for drag reduction system. So the rear wing of an F1 car basically works like a parachute, uh, limiting speed a little bit. It also creates downforce. But what happens when you use the drag reduction system is it's a mechanical movement of the rear wing where the rear wing flattens, making it literally so it's, it's exactly what it sounds like. It reduces the drag that's created on the car. And it helps cars pass each other. It makes you go a little bit faster and you can pass each other on straightaways. Now, you can only use DRS in specific DRS-labeled zones. There are straightaways uh, on very specific parts of tracks. You know, Hungary, I believe, has two DRS zones from last weekend. And you can only use DRS if you're within a second of the car in front of you. If you're right behind them on their butt, you can engage DRS and pass them and get around them. Uh, so, again, you need to be in the right spot. You need to be in a DRS zone. And you need to be close enough within one second in order to engage DRS. That's what happens. It's, this is a really poor an example, but it does remind me, if you ever played the video game Need for Speed, it's kind of like um, a real, very cool physics way of using like a nitrous boost in the 
uh, Need for Speed video game. That's silly. That's very crude. It's much oversimplified, but it's basically a way to get a little bit more speed to pass somebody on a straightaway. Now, number two, we have a racing line. It's a word you hear a lot. It's pretty straightforward. A racing line is the optimal path uh, to take around a track. It's the best way around. It's the best angles you can take to get the most speed. If you play the Forza video game, they literally put lines on the screen for you to try and follow. That's a racing line. Now, an apex is similar to a racing line. It's also related to turning, where you would say, like, if you said it in a sentence, you would say that, man, that guy hit the apex of the turn. And it, what it is is the best way and the best line around a turn. Usually it's using the center of the turn where it's the path you can take to waste as little time as possible and stay at the top speed or as the highest speed as you possibly can. you got to slow down a little bit. But if you take the right angle, you can keep your speed a little bit higher than if you go too wide or too narrow and have to slow down a little bit too much. Um, you know, Basically, if you go too wide or too narrow, you lose time. So you want to hit the apex of a turn that's what that means. It's usually the center of the turn. There's a, I'll put up a great graphic of it that explains it a little bit better. Um, that's the apex. Now, breaking point is the area where you hit the brakes leading up to a turn. As you're heading towards a turn, it turns on your right. You're about to turn. There's a point where you hit the brakes, and you want to wait as long as you can before you hit the brakes. If you brake too early, then you lose too much speed and too much time, and the turn is too slow. But if you wait too long and the breaking point is too late, then you can run really wide on the exit of the turn and go off the, off the track. So that leads me a little bit to oversteer and understeer, where oversteer is basically exactly like it sounds. It's where you literally, you're turning left, you turn too far to left, you turn too much. Uh, that's an oversimplified way to put it, but what happens is if you oversteer into the turn and you turn too much into the turn, then you can lose the back end of your car and you'll fishtail. Now, understeering can be simplified to your car doesn't turn enough and you run wide. This happens often, and it's usually because you lose grip on the track where you're either going too fast or you, are, you, you brake too hard and your tires lock up and you lose grip. So you're sliding and your car goes too wide of the turn. That's called an understeer. So an oversteer, you go too narrow, and then you lose the back end. The oversteer is where you lose grip on the front and usually go wide of a turn. So what is locking up? I just said that locking up refers to the brakes. You can imagine that you're locking up, you're tightening something. Uh, you lock up the brakes when you completely stop the tires from spinning, even though the car is still moving. So that's when you enter a slide usually. Uh, you can even be on a straightaway, lock up your brakes, and then it's what happens when you apply too much braking power. We saw Charles Leclerc do this yesterday. And it ended up him, it resulted in him getting past where there was a, a pretty big gap between, between the car and him behind him. He tried to hit his brakes briefly. He actually hit him too hard. He locked up. And the car behind him got in a good distance and passed him, even though it looked like nothing. You saw a little bit of smoke for half a second. That actually led to him getting passed. It's where your tires aren't spinning because you hit the brakes too hard, even though your car is still moving and has momentum in a direction. Now, dirty air. Dirty air is a phrase you'll hear all the time. It also has to do, it's related to slipstreaming. We'll get into that in a minute. Um, I'll be honest, this is a highly complicated aerodynamic, uh, kind of a, a manipulation of physics, and we'll talk about it. It's, it's interesting to me. The best way I can explain it is, and I guess maybe manipulation of physics is more DRS, which DRS is so cool to me. Um, picture a speedboat. 
when a speedboat drives through water, what happens behind the speedboat? Creates a big wake because when you're moving through the water, it disturbs and moves the water, creating a wake behind you. And when you drive a car through the air, a similar thing happens with the air. There's a wake behind a car. I mean, we've seen, everyone's seen like, I don't know, a Chevy or Ford commercial where they show a car in a wind tunnel and the air flows over the car. What's behind the car is a wake of some kind. Now, in F1, you have the rear wing and the front wing, and they're like flaps that push air up and create downforce where the car is being pushed a little bit into the ground. And it gives cars more grip, and it raises the cornering speeds. So in F1, if you follow an F car, F1 car really closely, the air is being pushed up behind the car. And if you follow an F1 car really closely on a straightaway, you can actually go faster because the air behind an F1 car is literally thinner than it is in front of the lead car. There's usually less air to fight against you. Um, and you, you can use the speed boost to get past the, the lead car in front of you. That's called slipstreaming. You, if you ever played Mario Kart, I played Mario Kart on my Nintendo Switch where there's that little moment where a bunch of air starts happening. That's when you slipstream the car and then you get up and then you pass them. That's called slipstreaming. That's on a straightaway. So on a straightaway, being really close behind an F1 car is slipstreaming. Now, if you follow the car closely around a turn, that's when you start running into the phrase dirty air. So it's good to follow a car on a straightaway. The problem is as you turn, the air disruption is so sporadic, uh, chaotic, and less predictable, the air movement behind the car, that it actually makes it harder for you to drive and makes it easier for you to lose control. So that is what dirty air is. Dirty air is when you follow a car, re- car really closely, uh, and then as the car turns, dirty air hits you and causes you to lose control of your car. It also has to do with overheating. There's other, other effects it can have on a car, but that's the main thing. Straightaways or slipstreaming around a corner, that's when you run into dirty air. Both are happening behind a car when you're really close behind them. Now, before we get into tires, there are three more things I want to talk about. The tires are fascinating to me. Um, but it's worth mentioning just in case you don't know. Uh, when you hear on the radio in Formula when you hear people say box, they'll say like box, box. And what that means is just come in and get a pit stop. You know, pit stop, you go in for a pit stop, you visit the mechanics to have a tire change or refuel or adjust something on the car. When people say box, box, they're saying, hey, come into the pit lane. The yellow flags, I mentioned it earlier, mean caution. Uh, there's danger on the track, slow down, no passing. Blue flags are for slow cars where if I'm going really, really slow and the car behind me is a lap ahead of me, the blue, they'll wave a blue flag, hey, Zach, slow down, get out of the way so the car behind you can pass. If there's a, a lap or more gap between the car behind you that's coming up on you and you, they'll wave the blue flag, hey, just get out of the way, let the faster car get around you. Now, Formula One tires. I love this stuff. Uh, you might not know. They're filled with nitrogen, nitrogen actually, because... Nitrogen is a more stable air. It helps uh, people keep the tire temperatures more stable because nitrogen is a more stable gas than air. Never knew that. Never would have thought of that. That's pretty cool. Now, Formula One tires, there are six words you need to know. Uh, There are only five variations of tires, but there's one extra word you need to understand. Let's start with the wet tires. Wet tires have really big, deep grooves on them. It helps to displace water and prevent hydroplaning. And they're marked with a blue stripe. So wets are made for dealing with heavy rain and standing water on the track. That's one type of wet weather tire. Now, 
Then you have intermediate tires. They are marked with the green stripe, and they have a little bit smaller grooves than the wets. They're made for a wet track that doesn't have as much standing water, maybe not as heavy rain, when the tire is wet and slick, but not maybe driving through gigantic puddles. So wet tires in Formula One have grooves on them. They're, you know, tires for dry conditions, oddly enough, you never would have guessed this, if you're driving a tire for a dry condition, they're called slicks. Here's why. They're called slicks because there's no grooves on the tires. They're completely smooth around the outside. They're smooth because the design is to create as much area of contact as possible with the tire and the track. The more tire touching the track, the more grip there is. They're super grippy tires. Now, there are three types of slicks used right now in Formula One. There are soft tires, which are marked with the red stripe. They, they let the car go the fastest but they also don't last as long. So Lewis Hamilton in Hungary used, he had uh, like two laps left to go. He just wanted to go fast and try to get fastest lap. He wasn't worried about the longevity of the tires. He put on the soft tires to get the fastest lap and go the fastest way around the track. They help you go fast, but they don't last very long. And you'll need a pit stop soon to change your tire because they wear down and wear thin. Now the other extreme, you go from soft tires on one side. They're fast, but don't last very long. You have hard tires, a harder compound of tires on the other extreme where they aren't as fast. They're the slowest of the slicks, but they do last a lot longer. So if you want a longer experience that isn't as fast, then you go for the hard tires. That sounds so wrong. It's not my intention. Now, somewhere in the middle is medium tires. Oh, by the way, soft tires are red. Hard tires are marked with a white stripe. So that's soft and hard. Now, between that is a medium tire. Medium tires are marked with a yellow stripe. They're the balance of the two extremes. They'll go faster than a hard tire, and they'll last longer than a soft tire. But they're not the fastest, and they're not the longest lasting. They're just a balance in the middle. Now, I, I find this stuff really fascinating. I love this stuff. Those are the words I came up with, the words and phrases. I, I, I kind of... When I organize the show, I imagine I'm talking to my dad. My dad knows nothing. And if I was trying to explain Formula One to my dad, those are the phrases I would need to know and I would want to know. Now, if there's something I'm leaving out, please let me know. I am much, much happy. Uh, I'm very happy. Much happy. I'm very happy for you to leave a comment on YouTube down below. Let me know if there's a phrase you think I left out that's important for the audience to know. I really, I'm putting this video on YouTube because I want it to be kind of a... A, a group area where you can have discussion and teach people about Formula One. I think it'd be really cool. And I wish I'd seen a video like this a couple weeks ago, uh, months ago. In, in December, when I learned about Formula One, I wish I'd had a video like this to help me understand the phrases and have as a guide to Formula One. I had to learn all this stuff on my own, um, but I, I encourage you, if there's other stuff I left out, please comment down below. You may not know, four years ago, my younger brother took his life. He committed suicide. A little over four years ago now. Um... And when that happened, I learned two really painful lessons. Number one, I'm begging you, please, if you're struggling, go get help. My brother suffered in silence. He never told anybody he was having a hard time. He came into his room one day. He was dead on the floor. And so uh, that's awful. I don't want that for anybody. And I encourage you, if you're having a hard time, please go get help. I don't want what happened to my brother to happen to somebody else. And so go talk to a key teacher, a counselor, a professor, your best friend, a parent, a coach. If you're struggling, go get help. Do not suffer in silence the way my brother did. I'm encouraging you and begging you, please, if you're struggling, go get help. 
Now, if you have no one you can talk to as a last resort, there's really no one you can talk to. There is no teacher. There is no professor. There's no counselor. There's no best friend. There's no person you can go to. You can call the suicide hotline 1-800-273-8255, 1-800-273-8255. And now the second lesson I learned when my younger brother died was that, you know, make sure the people in your life know how much you care about them. I, I, I encourage you, give people hugs, tell them you love them, your girlfriend, your stepmom, your dad, your brother, whatever, your coach, your teacher. Say, my, my dad and my stepmom have a phrase. They say, say it out loud. When you appreciate something, don't be afraid to say it out loud. And so I'm telling you, I'm begging you, tell the people in your life how much you love them, that you care about them. And if you can, make it clear. You know, my brother and I were very close. My little brother and I played Halo, played baseball, played football. We, gosh, we worked at a car wash together. We did all kinds of stuff together. I thought we were pretty close. And my regret in my relationship with my brother is we only talked about really four things, video games, movies, sports, and girls. And I, I just wish I'd told him, hey, man, if you're struggling, you can come talk to me. So I encourage you, tell your friends you love them, tell them you care, and make it clear to them that the door is open. Don't have just surface-level conversations about movies and sports and video games and whatever. It's okay to have deeper conversations. I encourage you, and I'm begging you, please, if you're struggling, go get help. And then please talk to your friends, tell them you love them, and make it clear. If you care about them, they can come talk to you. Guys, that's all I have. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Hope you have a great day. And uh, ba-dum-bum, bam, we are done.